Welcome to Punk Rock Personal Development, a podcast about getting your shit together and creating a life you love. I'm your host, Sarah Stars, and every week I speak to inspiring badasses about the nitty-gritty of how they live with passion and purpose. My guests and I might embrace a bit of woo-woo every now and again, but we also get really honest about what it takes to grapple with your demons, transform your life, truly accept yourself, and strike out in the direction of your dreams. Because personal development only works if you do. That's what's so punk rock about it. Hello, and welcome to Punk Rock Personal Development, episode 35. You can access all of the show notes for this episode at Sarah Stars, that's S-T-A-R-R-S, sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 35. Today's episode is with Eloa Atkinson. Eloa is a certified life-changing coach, a spiritual teacher, and a student of A Course in Miracles. I'm personally fascinated by A Course in Miracles, as so many of the teachers I admire share its lessons, including Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, Gabby Bernstein, and Robert Holden. This year, I had decided I was going to become a student of the course, and for the first 40 days, I did, as I'll share in this episode. I studied the lessons and worked through the workbook, but something just wasn't really jiving for me. I struggled to relate to the tone of voice of the course, and for now, I've set the text aside. However, the insights Eloa offers in this interview have really opened me back up to studying the course and have given me so many entry points for doing so in a way that works for me. We also dive deep into her personal journey, recovering from shame, building a solid sense of self, the power of being vulnerable, and taking radical responsibility for our lives. Hey, Eloa, how are you today? Hey, Sarah, I'm good. The sun is shining. All is well. Doesn't life just feel so much better now that we're having these longer days and more sunshine in in the UK? I know. And yellow daffodils and tulips and just the promise of of summer coming and just the enjoyment of spring. It's just beautiful. It is. It's so cliche, but I just feel so much more alive and full of possibility already. It's pretty wonderful. Yeah, same here. And you're you're being very British talking about the weather. It's wonderful. (laughs) I think I might have started it, but... Well, Canadians like to talk about the weather a lot as well, so it's, uh, I guess, a shared a shared ancestry, a shared love of talking about the weather. So to dive into something a little bit meatier, could you share a little bit about your story for anyone who doesn't know you? Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, I'd love to. So my name is Eloa Atkinson, but I just tell people, just call me Elle. Um, I'm a coach. I'm also a fellow podcaster and a writer. And you know, I'm here as uh, 32 years old, working for myself, teaching A Course in Miracles, about to launch a podcast with my husband as well, kind of on the brink of so much exciting stuff. Um, but that certainly hasn't been my journey throughout my whole life. I certainly didn't grow up knowing what I wanted to do or even liking myself. I grew up in a huge amount of fear and shame and even self-loathing. And um, had a, hit a pretty major rock bottom when I was 18 years old. And at that point in my life, I just kind of I kind of got it. I got that what I was doing wasn't working. It wasn't serving me. And so at 18 years and nine months old, I got sober. I got clean off all the drugs that I was using and abusing and began the kind of massive work, really, Sarah, of changing my life 
of of setting out on a path of personal development and I remember people saying to me you are so lucky to have found it so young and I was like I don't feel lucky like this is awful I'm having the worst time of my life but fast forward 14 years you know it's been 14 years of deep inner work learning how to accept myself learning all about what it means to be fully alive and 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 how does that look for me and what is it what is it that I'm actually here to do on the planet so you know I really love doing this inner work it's what I live it's what I breathe um, and I'm all about really helping people step into their lives in an unapologetic way and learning how to play and ultimately experience joy and freedom and then go out into the world and do the work that they're here to do because I feel like within every single one of us the thing that is our downfall contains the teaching that we're here to give each other so that's a little snapshot of me and my life I live in Sussex Um, I'm a London girl born and bred but I just can't do the big city anymore so I'm in a little village Um, I've still yet to learn how to knit or make jam but (laughs) I walk my dog every day out in um on the Sussex Downs and I live near the sea so it's it's a really stunning life yeah so like you said you came to this work quite early on even if it didn't feel like it at the time or if it felt maybe like a burden and what were those first few steps like for you were there certain tools or books or teachers that came into your life when you needed them at that time Mm, yes there were um initially I was in a 12-step fellowship or a number of 12-step fellowships which helped me kind of wash my brain Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um get just kind of get to grips with learning to speak about my emotions and realizing that I wasn't alone that was like the fundamental thing that changed my life because I had felt so alone and so alienated for most of my childhood and so early on first couple of years it was a lot of meetings and a lot of doing the 12 steps but for me it is very much about it being a spiritual path that I'm on. For me, personal development and spirituality go hand in hand. And so um, there were a couple of things in particular that I did that I would recommend people really plug into if they resonate with the kind of stuff that I talk about. One of them is a book called The Thirst for Wholeness. And it's a book about addiction and attachment and the spiritual path. And that book for me woke me up on a different level to some of the stuff that is possible for us to experience as you know spiritual beings having a human experience to use that phrase that gets talked about Um, and then secondly there was a workshop that I did called the awakening which is a three-day deep dive into like the inner workings of who you are it's it's still to this day one of the most profound experiences that I've ever had and they run what it's by an organization called Clearmind and they run the workshops all over the UK and in various parts of Canada and in America as well. So you can access it from all over the world, which is great. And so since it's one of the big topics of the day, and I know we're going to dive into it a lot deeper, I'm curious to know well, I guess just maybe even dialing back a little bit from there from where I was going, but could you give us a rundown of what A Course in Miracles is since you mentioned that you teach its lessons in your work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so what I would love to do, Sarah, is throw that question back to you and say, what is your understanding of what the course is? Because it's so interesting to kind of, people have so many different ideas about it. Sure, yeah. So 
I mean, I think that A Course in Miracles, when you get interested in personal development and spirituality um, in general, if you're reading a lot of books, it seems to just pop up again and again and again. And I noticed that, you know, reading Gabby Bernstein or Wayne Dyer or Marianne Williamson, Robert Holden, it just keeps coming up and again and again for me. Teachers that resonated with me, um, I found that a lot of them were students of A Course in Miracles. So mm. I became really intrigued by that. A lot of the, um, especially Gabby's book, May Cause Miracles, a lot of the kind of lessons that she shares from the course resonated with me really deeply and have really become kind of tools or mindsets that have improved my life in a lot of ways. Um so I bought the the full text and workbook a few years ago and then um, moved to the UK and decided it was too big to kind of fit in my suitcase. Um, so I brought it back from Canada this year with the intention of, you know, doing the full year workbook and studying all the lessons. And um, I ended up setting aside after about 40 days yeah. because I just wasn't, I you know, I fa- I'd found, had those little tastes of it that had made this big shift and I wasn't, none of the lessons so far had really sparked anything with me and I was I've been doing a lot of work personally around the divine feminine and really getting in touch with that side of myself and I was really finding some resistance towards the really kind of masculine um language of the text and and in a way that it almost felt kind of condescending to me and so that's why I was super excited to talk to you because I really resonate with your work and your writing and what you seem to be all about so I'm curious to hear more about your take on the course and and some different entry points into it because I was really struggling even though I felt like it was something I really wanted to to learn more about. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your experience of it. And it's certainly not, you're not alone in struggling with the masculine language. A lot of people struggle because it uses Christian terminology Mm -hmm. and still more people struggle with it because it kind of speaks in an archaic way. The grammar's a little bit old fashioned in places. It's very Shakespearean in how it Um, and how it comes across. But basically, to kind of zoom out for us, um, the course is comprised of three books. So you've got the text, which is, you know, the big, chunky, spiritual text that you would sit and study. Then you've got the workbook, which, as you said, is a series of 365 daily lessons for self-study. And then there's a manual for teachers, which, you know, a teacher of God, it says, is anyone who chooses to be one. So the the manual guides you through the kind of um, mindset shifts and the kind of principles that you would live by if you were teaching this work. And the course is a self-study system and it's, it's a metaphysical text. It operates on many different levels. I, I have such... Um, I've been studying it for 12 years, so I've kind of got a long-term relationship with it. And I have certainly struggled with everything that you described, with feeling at times that it was irrelevant or that I wasn't connecting to it. I got, I've got i been angry at it at different times. It's confused me. It's overwhelmed me. Um, and sometimes it's just been so just discombobulating it's like what on earth is it trying to say I don't understand sometimes I still read a paragraph and I'll get to the end of it and go what was that yeah <laughs> like, what did that actually just say but I think once um my entry into it was was through the awakening workshop which I just described earlier and what the awakening did was it brought the course to life it gave me an experience of the journey through fear back to love and this is the the kind of teaching that I think we hear a lot about in the personal development world is the idea that at the root of everything is love and that fear is something that we have learned 
and that it is our curriculum to unlearn. And so for me, far beyond all of the masculine language and the Christian terminology, there's this profound teaching, which is, it's all about reuniting me with my true self Mm -hmm. and helping me to come home to who I really am through the process of forgiveness. And that is a process of forgiving myself, forgiving the people in my life who I believe have harmed me, forgiving all the trauma and the pain that I experienced as a little girl growing up and as a teenager, and really remembering the truth about myself, about you, and and kind of and, and everybody else, and coming back to a state of of happiness. Really, I think it's about returning to joy. It really is about it's kind of like shifting operating systems. Marianne Williamson uses this lovely analogy of like. The idea is that you cannot have two operating systems installed on your computer at the same time. You've either got, you know, Windows 7 or you've got Windows 8.1, God forbid. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Or you've got, you know, Snow Leopard or or, or Leopard. It, it's like you can't be in both places at the same time. Um, and in terms of, you know, I, I think it is, I think doing it in community and Getting to grips with the course with other people can be a really powerful, profound experience because it is a very, I think those first 50 lessons, actually, it's interesting that you stopped at lesson 40 because I feel that the first 50 lessons kind of contain everything that you need to know in order to get to grips with the basics of A Course in Miracles. Um, The idea of projection, the idea that we're constantly reliving the past and the present and that the, the task, I think, is really to get ultra, ultra present. Um, have you read Rising Strong by Brene Brown? I have been. I've read her other books, but I haven't read that one yet. So I love that book. And I love Daring Greatly. And I love the gift of imperfection. And they all build upon each other. And in Rising Strong, she talks about this process of identifying what story you're telling. What is the story that you're running in your head about what is happening? And for me, that's one of the most profound things that the course has taught me, which is that essentially the present moment is a blank canvas. It doesn't inherently mean anything. And I'm the one constantly giving meaning to everything that happens. I could be sitting here, for example, having this conversation with you, Sarah, and and constantly uh, perceiving in it that I'm not doing a good enough job or that I'm not enough or that I'm not articulate or that I'm talking too much. And it's like the idea is that you're constantly trying to prove these fear-based and mistaken beliefs about yourself, which you formed in childhood. And on the contrary, I could be sitting here and just having this beautiful experience of connecting with another person and getting to know them and, and experiencing what does it feel like to be really alive in this conversation and to really enjoy this conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's so much to dig in there. And so I guess really bringing it back to basics for a second for anyone who maybe has never heard of A Course in Miracles or doesn't really know, you know, the history of the text, would you just give a brief overview of kind of what you know about how the text came into being, who wrote it, where it came from, those kind of, those basics? I love this. This is like a kind of um, trivia, sort of like testing my knowledge of the course. (laughs) Just whatever your understanding is. So the course is supposedly a channeled text, meaning that a lady called Dr. Helen Shookman kind of uh, received it 
and it came through her but she doesn't she never wanted to claim authorship so that's why there's no author and there was a whole controversy around that but anyway we won't get into that but the idea is that it was scribed it was channeled and that it is the voice of Jesus which I prefer to call the Christ mind because that for me is more universal Um, but it's the idea that it's this this very holy sacred text that has come through this person and um, I think it, it took about seven years for her to channel the whole thing. And she had a real battle with it. It was this real stop-start process. She was an atheist. She was a psychologist. And, you know, she'd be writing out this book that was supposedly kind of correcting some of the mistaken um, interpretation of Christianity and what Christianity had done to Jesus's intended teachings and she's like writing out this stuff going, I can't like, how can this be coming through me? This is, I don't even believe in God. Like, I don't believe this stuff that I'm writing. And so the voice would like, you know, she'd throw her typewriter to one side and, and leave it for months at a time. And then she would come back to it and it would just pick up exactly where it had left off and it would just carry on. Um, and I And I want to read the beginning of the course because I think it's really it's really powerful and and it speaks to the fact that it isn't for everyone, but there is a path and a curriculum for everyone, which is universal. Is that okay if I do that? Yes, please do. So this is the first thing, the very first thing that kind of came to Dr. Shookman was um, the words, this is a course in miracles, please take notes, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. And so she wrote down this, this is a course in miracles. It is a required course Only the time you take it is voluntary. Free will does not mean that you can establish the curriculum. It means only that you can elect what you want to take at a given time. The course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love, for that is beyond what can be taught. It does aim, however, at removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance. The opposite of love is fear, but what is all-encompassing can have no opposite. The course can therefore be summed up very simply in this way. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. Mm. And for me, I think I knew right from the beginning that the course was the thing, the text, the path, whatever you want to call it, that made sense to me. And I have plenty of friends and and people that I know who have tried to kind of study it and get on with it and they haven't just haven't managed to connect with it. And so maybe they, you know, study some other path or some other thought system. And I think that's that's a beautiful thing. That's what's so amazing about the world we live in and all the different teachings that are available to us. But I think that there are people who feel that kind of connection to it and they have that resonance with the teachings either directly from the course or through teachers like Marianne or Gabby and you know to those people I would say kind of persevere right you know keep plugging into it because there may be layers to it you know and I think that it's like anything isn't it Sarah you don't attain mastery overnight absolutely and I mean it's interesting to hear and I've heard from other women as well having that same struggle of you know, resisting the kind of masculine tone, but there's other, you know, other, other ways that we can be resisting it, whether it's the Christian terminology or, or the tone of voice or the language. And I'm curious if you have any strategies or things that worked for you when it came to 
kind of getting over that, whether it's resentment or resistance? Mm. Yeah, I think partly um, one thing I did for a while was I changed every reference of he to she, Mm -hmm. just as I read it. And I often read it out loud because that helps me process it better than just reading it on the page. And secondly, um, there was a whole chunk of time where I just, I just took myself less seriously, you know, and I, I said, okay, I want to actually understand the principles here. So I kind of asked for guidance. I think inviting in guidance is a really powerful thing to do. You know, like show me what you would have me understand from this piece, whoever you are, whether it's love or the universe or as Gabby talks about your inner guide. Um, so yeah, kind of lightening up around it, um, replacing the he with a she. And also, I think the thing is, like, it isn't a Christian text. So if there is some struggle with the Christian terminology, recognising that this is not a Christian text, it's actually considered quite blasphemous, I think, in in the church in general, very generally speaking. Um, Because the teaching is that you're actually innocent, not guilty. It's teaching the opposite of what, you know, of what certainly I, I have found Catholicism wants to impart, which is the idea that, you know, you're born a sinner, And the course is kind of saying, no, you're actually amazing and magnificent. Like you have forgotten who you are. That is the only issue here. Mm, Yeah, that's delicious. And I think it's just that first passage that you read reminding, reminding us that there are many paths to these same lessons. And so it's not ever trying to say this is, this is the way, this is the only way, which I think a lot of, a lot of people who've had a religious upbringing have felt that kind of those confines and that kind of forced upon thinking Mm. so I'm curious to hear a little bit more about you know the kind of practical day-to-day of what it looks like to become a student of this Course in Miracles what your advice you would give because so I'll tell you what I was doing and not so that you can give me personalized advice but you know just to so we can kind of have this conversation about what it might look like to study the course so um I started in January with the with the idea that I would go through the entire workbook this year and obviously I've I've set it aside right now but I was just sitting down and reading a few pages from the the text from the lessons and then going through one of the workbook um, lessons each day and I'm curious yeah if, if what your own practice with the course looked like starting out and what it looks like now mm. um I remember when I first started reading it years ago I was like so baffled by it I couldn't read more than a paragraph at a time um so I'm really impressed that you got through a few pages I still struggle to read a few pages of it if I I like you know how like you've got the little subsections and I'll often check and if it's more than two pages I'll be like oh it's so long (laughs) I should say I was reading like one subsection at a time and even then I mean we can go into this a bit more I don't I don't feel like I was I wasn't forcing myself to fully comprehend. I was a lot of the time just letting it, letting the language wash over me and feeling like that was enough for for the first go round. Yeah, I I really, I think that there's no one right way. Um, A friend of mine keeps the course in her loo. And so, you know, when she's doing her business, she'll flip it open and read a bit. I've done everything, Sarah, from like, trying to be really diligent and waking up really early and you know quietly going into the living room and lighting a candle and you know being all spiritual and sitting down and reading it first thing to you know having it on my kindle and literally reading one line sometimes one sentence 
can really help me. So, for example, there's a line called, from the section that's called Recognising the Spirit. And the first sentence says, you either see the flesh or recognise the spirit. There is no compromise between the two. And for me, that just reminds me, like, am I a human being having a spiritual experience or am I a spiritual being having a human experience? And it's just constantly challenging which way I see things. So sometimes I flop the book open at a random point and just see what's on the page. Sometimes I will go through the contents list and like see if there's um, a chapter heading that jumps out at me. And very often I just return back to my favourite pieces again and again and again. I suppose it's a bit like, it's a bit like, having a poem that you really love and every time you read that poem it just nourishes you and it fills you up and it's like I don't need to do battle with the bits of the course that don't make any sense to me um, and actually at the moment my husband and I have designed a little course like a little introductory six-week journey through how to study A Course in Miracles because it is so confusing and baffling and overwhelming and I would say to people don't start at the beginning you know, the beginning is not a book to read in a linear way. It's not a kind of, oh, I, I opened it up on page one and then went all the way through to the end. I've done that twice. And honestly, I didn't, you know, it didn't really make much sense to me as a, it's not a book to read cover to cover. I spent in the beginning a lot of time in the manual for teachers. The manual for teachers is like so down to earth in its language and it talks about the different qualities that you will develop as you study the course, things like trust and joy and compassion and honesty. And it's written in a really accessible and down-to-earth way. So that's definitely a good starting point for people. And a lot of people recommend reading A Return to Love because, mm -hmm. or reading Spirit Junkie or May Cause Miracles because what Gabby and, and Jordan Bark and the guys over at Soul Feed podcast, what these teachers are doing is they're making the course really accessible and they're making it down to earth. And Marianne's got an amazing podcast with like three minute lessons where she just kind of breaks down part of A Course in Miracles and just gives it to you in a really digestible way. So yeah, mixing it up, playing with it. And you know, if you don't like it, take a break. And if you still feel like you want it on your bookshelf, keep it there. Um, and I would say also like looking for a study group can be a really good thing to do. Finding people to kind of have conversations with about it and go, I don't understand what projection is. Can you help me? <laughs> so, yeah, there's a whole mixture of ideas. That is all such good advice. And I think it's so interesting, like realizing while you're talking about that, I was resisting this kind of like perceived masculine nature of the text while I was forcing myself to interact and study the course in a really masculine linear way. And so oh. kind of compounding the problem. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious to hear a little bit more about you know, the the text, it, it reminded me a little bit of when I used to study philosophy because the text, like any spiritual text, is really dense. It's a little bit um, opaque at times in terms of, you know, it's not really simple, straightforward uh, language. And so I'm curious, you know, you mentioned a study group. What are some other ways that people can become begin unpacking those lessons? Or is it enough to just kind of immerse yourself in the language and, and let what stands out stand out for you? Again, I think that's a really individual process. And for some people, absolutely, it's enough to 
go to where feels easy and let yourself develop a relationship with it. For me, the course isn't something to read. It is something to be studied and then to be lived. And I I think that's what made the biggest difference for me, as I said earlier, was, was having an experience. Because once you have experienced this journey through fear and returning to love, you know, that love is actually something that already exists within you right in this moment, that there is this, you know, I, I call it the phoenix. I have a really strong connection to to that bird. I think it's just an incredible, incredible, this idea that it self-destructs and then out of the self-destruction it is born again, that we all have that within us. We have a voice that will speak only loving, kind, cheerleading, supportive words I, f- I feel like that that's the goal of the course. The goal of it is to actually connect you back to that love inside yourself. So, you know, in terms of approaching the text in a really practical way, let it try and let it be easy for yourself. Um, I do think, you know, the more you read Shakespeare, the easier it becomes to understand, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of things he's saying. So there is something to be said for consistency. And having said that, you know, I've gone off and done two years where I didn't even open the book. Um, I've, I've explored other teachings and then I've come back to the course having studied shamanism or Taoism or Buddhism. And um, quite a lot of people say that the course really is a lot of Eastern teachings wrapped up in Western concepts. So, yeah, um, does that answer the question? I feel like I haven't answered it very no, clearly. absolutely you have. Um, it's also, like, it, it's lovely to see how many different entry points there can be and and you talking about that you know having the experience of the course I think there are probably a lot of different you know courses and books and teachings that will allow people to do that and for me may cause miracles and going through that 40-day kind of process that Gabby laid out really gave me my first taste of that so that was really it's a really I think um, accessible entry point for people who are kind of listening to this and feeling a craving to to get involved and have that experience it's a it's a financially and I think kind of spiritually accessible place to start yeah for sure and I think we live in such an amazing era as you were talking I thought of like all the teaching that is available just online Mm -hmm. you don't have to even spend a penny to go on a workshop because you can google like the lessons and so a friend of mine a couple of years ago did the lessons and he had been injured so he had the whole year off work which meant that each day he could make a really in-depth high quality awesome video um, and he's called the barefoot barrister so you can look him up and he he did the lessons and kind of made a video about each lesson every day for a year um there's so much by um one of the main teachers who sadly passed away is called kenneth wapnick and his stuff he really he really makes it so understandable so i like reading his stuff i know that gabby is um one of his students as well she credits him as one of his her main teachers so looking up Kenneth Wapnick's stuff and you know working with the kind of person that you are so if you really like visual watching videos if you really enjoy um listening you know podcasts finding podcasts that break down the course or um if you're more of a reader then you know find it seeking out articles seeking down introductory books that kind of teach you the, the 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 main 50 principles or whatever um the really i think it really is about saying i want to build this into my practice and i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with this even through the hard times 
Mm-hmm. which is something that I do with my coaching clients. I, you know, I say to them, this is not going to be a walk in the park. This is not going to be an easy step-by-step journey. Just like when you learn anything, there will be times when it feels flat and boring and disconnected, but then there'll be these other moments where you just get insight and you think, wow, that was really profound. And my life has altered as a result of it. So. And you mentioned that you and your husband are creating a course about of course in miracles is that yes, something that's available are. now or can we look forward to it in the future very shortly so we're looking at a late spring it will be a live six week uh, online course where what we do is each week we give you one piece to go and read you just go and read it and then we meet up online and Nigel and I will basically do what we do in our living room every day which is read it out loud break it down talk about it talk about how it's applicable to your life throw a load of questions and ideas and experiences out there and then throw it open for Q&A at the end. Um, And then for the rest of that week, your task is simply to reread the piece and just do your best to apply it. So there'll be a little community. We're going to make it a fairly small, intimate group. Um, And the idea is that there'll be different um, stages. So there'll be like stage one, stage two and stage three eventually. So I am so excited about this idea because I feel like it will really help people get to grips with it and then also decide, like, is this something that I want to commit to? You're going to know at the end of the six weeks whether the teachings do resonate with you or not. You're going to get beyond that point of just being baffled and actually be able to say, yeah, this really makes sense to me um, and I want to I want to continue. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And uh, we're looking at a kind of maybe early June for for when that's coming out that's really exciting I'm sure lots of us will be keeping our eyes open um so shifting gears a little bit and diving more into maybe kind of the applications of the course and your your own teachings as a coach one of the things that came up in the kind of pre-interview interview that um that I went through with you was the idea of building this solid sense of self and so much of the kind of personal development work that we do Um, in general, is rooted in growing our sense of self-awareness and our sense of self. And I'm curious to hear from you, do you think that the self is something constant, as in something that we're born with, or is it something that we're creating all of the time, is something that's changing and that we have a fair amount of control over? Oh, I love that question. Oh, Sarah, so I I really would love to hear from you as well, because I feel like I'm doing all the talking. Um, (laughs) I I think it's both. Me too. In in essence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do think that there is an essential self. There's a higher self, a deeper self, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that we forget who that is as we go through childhood. And it's like we 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 learn to adapt and mask and camouflage who we really are as we become socialised and you know acculturated. Um, and and it, it's necessary. It's it's a necessary part of being human. And then I think as we grow into adulthood, the task is to keep becoming who we really are. And I'm actually, um, as we're recording this, I've got a pink glittery baseball cap on, which if you knew me at all, like this is not an item of clothing that you would ever expect to see me wearing. But I'm playing with this kind of alter ego at the moment, this kind of fierce kind of hip hop energy and doing street dance classes and really taking myself into an area of being human that feels quite uncomfortable for me so I think that um it's definitely something that we're constantly 
we're constantly being invited by life to step into and to evolve and to grow. And I think it's that's the natural flow of life. And we stop ourselves by by blocking it and by, you know, insisting on staying stagnant and the same. And I don't think that is what life is meant to be like. I think it's a constant process of becoming. I absolutely agree. I mean, I think that there's something within us that feels constant and true. And I'm really exploring for myself, you know, staying in touch with that inner guidance system and staying in touch with what feels really true for me and and exploring philosophically where I think that comes from and what the kind of deeper belief system around it is. But also, you know, I really am a big proponent of really intentionally creating your life and and being playful and experimental with what we choose to to call in for us and and recognizing that we don't have to take it so seriously that we can, Mm -hmm. you know, like you say, experiment with this hip-hop loving pink wearing persona and not think oh you know what are people going to think I've always been someone who wore this and did this and listened to this type of music what is this all going to mean and just be like you know this is fun for me right now I'm experimenting it and we'll see where it takes me yeah and I have to drop in and say like that is very a course in miracles when you said about what does this mean Uh, truthfully it, it means whatever you want it to mean I mean, I went out to get my nails done this morning and I looked a right state. <laughs> and my, my, I didn't so much bother about because I see the same girl. She does my nails. She's awesome. But one of her, her next client turned up halfway through me having my nails done and I got all self-conscious. I was like, I'm still in my, I don't think I haven't showered. My hair's a mess. I look, I just looked a right state and I had to catch myself and go, it is actually okay. It doesn't matter what she thinks of you. It's none of your business what she thinks of you and she's free to make a you know to have whatever and maybe she didn't even pay any attention she was probably just on her phone um so it's that thing about attaching meaning all the time to stuff yeah yeah and there's there's also that piece of just kind of of staying within our own zone of influence because even if you had been dressed to the nines with your hair coiffed and whatever your favorite outfit on she could have attached some sort of judgmental snarky meaning to that exactly we have no control over it exactly it's more about I think when when it says in the in the course you know everyone teaches and teaches all the time it's like what do you want to teach yourself in that moment mm-hmm. you know when I, when my car is dirty and I'm like oh this is so ugly you know it feels horrible the energy's heavy no I want to teach myself I not just want to show the world, oh, look, I take care of my possessions. It's a really silly example, but it's one that really bugs me in my car. But it's like, what do I want to teach myself? So, yeah, I love I love what you said that. I also think, you know, as kids, we kind of, I suppose it's different if you've experienced a lot of trauma and became quite shut down at a really early age. Um, but I remember certain aspects of my childhood and lots of people that I've coached and worked with what I try to do is reunite people with that that child within and help them to find that place inside themselves that is just playful and um, creative and imaginative and unencumbered by all of these restrictions and these these scripts and these stories that say, oh, you can't do this or you mustn't do that or you shouldn't do that. Um, when we access that place, it's like really anything is possible. I... I have an amazing gentleman in my community who is so open to allowing himself new experiences that he will take balloons into his corporate job and put them on his desk, you know, helium balloons, or he'll happily paint his fingernails or his toenails or experiment with 
putting flowers in his hair, for example, because he's playing with his own identity and he's saying, actually, whatever you think of this is not important. What matters is that I've got this urge, I've got this intuition or this sense that I want to play with this part of being human. Let me go and explore it. So he he's absolutely amazing. And I, I learned so much from just being around him. That's absolutely beautiful. I love that. So something that you mentioned in earlier was that you, from, you know, when you were around 18, you had a lot of healing to do from feelings of shame and fear. And something that you had brought up before this interview was the idea of how can we healthily explore, express and explore our shame and vulnerability, but not get sucked into that, that thinking of being a victim. And this is all stuff that happened to me and woe is me kind of, kind of idea. And I'm curious if you could unpack that a little bit and, and let me know your thoughts more on, on how we can, can explore that side of ourselves and those feelings in a healthy way and in a healing way rather than in a victimized kind of way. Mm. I would love to. What I'm going to do is while we're talking, I'm just going to pull up a quote um, from an author called Steve Chandler. And he he is so cool. Like this guy was an alcoholic until his mid 50s. And then he finally hit rock bottom. He reminds me a little bit in his writing of um, Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, which is one of my all time favorite books. I love that book. Um, And so there's this book by Steve Chandler called Crazy Good. And he talks about the victim mindset. And for me, Vic, that word victim had such negative, heavy energy attached to it a few years ago. And I have quite a different relationship to it today. But he says that the victim mindset in humanity is so conditioned, so pounded in, so deeply ingrained that it's hard to call it a conscious choice to think that way. It's more like a family tradition, a tradition of the human family It's a hypnotized knee-jerk response to everything, a default setting in the mind. Um, And so for me, you know, doing trauma work, doing therapeutic work, I think it's really important to clarify what the goal is. Because I think a lot of old school therapy used to stop. I think it's changing, but it used to stop at the point of identifying why you are, inverted commas, broken and finding you know, the roots of that and pointing at them and going, see, that's why you are the way you are. Um, But it didn't necessarily offer the possibility of wholeness or even in, you know, even in 12-step fellowships and people will lynch me for saying this, but the disease model of addiction, in a way it's freeing because you go, oh, it's not me, I have a disease, but then you're kind of stuck believing that you're diseased for the rest of your life. And for me, at a certain point that just got, too restrictive and too it got a bit claustrophobic um and because i believe in this solid self in this essential self this part of me that cannot be destroyed or that cannot be threatened you know that's why it's safe to be vulnerable as a human being with my emotions because there is a part of me that cannot be threatened that i think makes it a very different journey when we embark on healing work it becomes about accessing that place of inner strength and growing those muscles and stepping outside of your comfort zone in a whole new way. Um, Yeah, those are some thoughts. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And in in a way, I think that the kind of victim mentality that, that we've spoken about, it just, 
it doesn't allow us to take responsibility. And so it's really finding that place that is essential and or, or constant within us and acting from that place rather than rather than from a place where we can we can even be broken. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say, Sarah, like I don't want to at all come across like I've got this stuff licked. I haven't. <laughs> I was just with my coach yesterday talking about not wanting to take responsibility for creating new clients in my business. You know, I'm, I want them to magically fall out of the sky and phone me up out of the blue because woe betide, you know, the idea that I have to go out and get vulnerable and start conversations with people about working with me. That scares me. That feels really risky. I might get rejected. I might damage my friendships if I ask people that I care about, if I can coach them. I might hear the word no a hundred times you know it's like ah that's really scary for me so this idea of taking personal responsibility I think is really really central to kind of leading leading a fully alive life I don't think that you can really be fully at the at the helm of your life if you're not willing to take responsibility and yet that's a kind of a choice that we have to make over and over and over again. And I think it's about, you know, money for me is a really big area where I haven't wanted to take responsibility and where I've had a whole kind of bury my head in the sand mentality for years and years and years. And so I'm kind of working on that a lot in my life at the moment and noticing that I keep wanting to just snap back to the old way of being where I don't check my bank account don't track my expenses, just spend, 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 trust the universe, trust the universe. <laughs> I will always be taken care of. Um, but yeah, taking responsibility, man, it's like, oh gosh, there's so much freedom on the other side of it, but it's so hard as well. So I, I just want to throw that in and say, that's what I aspire to. And I certainly, I certainly haven't got it completely, you know, down pat. It's not, it, it's something I'm wrestling with every single day. I wrestle with resistance every single day. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Hilariously, I had an almost identical conversation with my coach this morning about, I don't want this to be like hard hustling for clients all the time. And she's like, well, no one's saying it has to be hard, but like, you can't also expect them to start knocking on your door. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I should probably like, you know, put it out there that a little bit more, make myself more vulnerable and it is it's um it's not difficult as much as there are beautiful gifts at the other side of vulnerability and radical responsibility it it can be painful and and scary mm. to get there for sure mm. i heard a beautiful quote from my teacher catherine who is one of the co-founders of Clearmind, who run that awakening workshop which i'm plugging again um but she said to a friend of mine recently you know yes it's hard like this thing, this life thing, growing, taking responsibility, it is hard, but at least it's hard facing in the right direction. I mean, the life I used to live, the victim life is hard, but facing in the wrong direction, because it's just taking me further and further into hell, basically, it's taking me further into victimhood, further into feeling like life is happening to me, further into feeling debilitated and powerless and you know kind of like I'm being battered around by the winds of life um so these steps you know coming on here today I felt really nervous before we started talking and it's like 
yeah, it, this is this is challenging, but at the same time, isn't it kind of exciting to say, yeah, regardless of who listened or what impact this interview made, I stepped out there and and had a go. Yeah. I I dared to be real. I dared to show up and to take up the stage, to take up the full space on my own stage. Yeah, and that's I mean you know, that quote that the Brene Brown talks about a lot is like about being in the arena. Like we can't expect things to happen to us, for us, with us, whatever language you want to use, unless we choose to be in the arena and actively co-create our lives. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it's it's such a great concept. And then sometimes, I don't know if you find this, but I certainly found it and in my own life and with coaching clients and people in my community that, yeah, you do get bruised and bloodied and it hurts. Mm-hmm. Falling down in the arena hurts and there's people in the in the stands pointing and laughing at you and judging you and it's like, oh, I just want to stop. I want to retreat. I want to go back into my little cave. This feels really unsafe. And so this is where I feel that all these beautiful concepts kind of tie together because right there in that moment is the moment of choice. Like, am I going to quit I mean, I had a a bit of a dark night of the soul last year because I did get a whole bunch of rejections as I perceived it around my coaching business. I was coaching a ton of people for free um, and trying to kind of sign, you know, sign up powerful clients. And I just got one person after another said, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Or they would start and then drop out. And it was really tough to keep going because everything inside of me was going, see, see, you're no good. You can't do this. You're not an entrepreneur. Who do you think you are? You're not like all the other women out there. You're not like Sarah. You're not like Ebony. You're not like all these other people. You know, it's like this life is for them. It's not for you, Eloa. Go back to your box. And so to be sitting here and, you know, still doing it (laughs) and, you know, making enough, making enough money and making an impact and supporting myself through my business is really quite remarkable. But that thing about being in the arena is it's a risky, brave life. And I think it's so powerful to look around and recognize that you are not on your own in that arena. That if you look to your left and you look to your right, and if you reach out your hand for help, there are so many people around who are actually cheering you on and willing you to to succeed. Like with you, Sarah, I am willing you to succeed. I read your amazing blog post where you really bravely disclosed about your process of leaving your job. Oh, thank you. And it's like, at the end, I'm just willing you to succeed, you know, and I and I just see what an amazing thing you're doing in the world. And I'm like, yes. So, yeah, that's me sticking two fingers up to the man and to the ego. And <laughs> I mean, I can relate so much to everything you've just said. So me too, me too, me too, because those mm-hmm. are two of the most powerful words in the English language. And mm-hmm. I think you know, there's never any guarantee of this. And that's what makes being in the arena so scary. But whenever I have those kind of dark nights of the soul or those places where I'm really ready to pack it in and call it quits, it really seems like it's often around a time where I'm really up leveling in some ways. So it's when I allow myself to, I don't, I don't know if push is the language that I want to use, but like move through that period, even though it feels thick and dark and sticky and difficult, that often there's just so much waiting on the other side that if I had packed it in, then I would never have had access to or known about and, you know, so many lessons to be learned. So I think that's something, a message that I hope um, 
that I hope comes through in my work a lot is that there are so many rewards for persevering and continuing to allow yourself to be vulnerable by being in the arena. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that quote by Winston Churchill. He said, if you're going through hell, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like don't stop here. The train isn't over yet. Keep going to the final stop. Yeah. And I mean, something that I mentioned in my article is that, that, I mean, like the similar, like if you were to choose to stop or to go backwards while you're moving through that hell, you would say you would stay at least for quite a long period. You'd still be in that hellish spot. And just like in many situations when we choose whether or not to take a leap, whether to be vulnerable or or not, the worst case scenario is often ending up back where we were and maybe a little bit bruised and a little bit sheepish that that we failed. But the on the other hand, taking the risk, entering the arena, it has so many possibilities and rewards that that just don't exist when we stay in our box absolutely absolutely and I don't think that this is what I love you mentioned the divine feminine and I do the more that I am in this world the longer I'm alive the more I see that the universe doesn't operate by masculine linear laws there's a, a quote from the artist way by Julia Cameron where she says you know if you shake the apple tree often oranges fall out. (laughs) So it's not this linear step-by-step thing. And often I'll put something out there and then something completely left-wing that I wasn't expecting will come my way from an unexpected source or, you know, it's just, it's just really quite a remarkable journey. And I think fundamentally, if, if a person, if you or I, or whoever's listening to this can find that place inside themselves where It's like, I'm actually safe no matter what. If the worst case scenario happens and I end up homeless or I die or in loads of debt or whatever your personal worst case scenario is, to actually kind of say yes to it and say, this is actually okay. I'm I'm okay with that possibility. It's like, then you can actually see what really is unfolding, which is not the worst case scenario. Does that make sense? I don't know if I made sense there. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what true freedom is and what true radical Mm. responsibility is, is to say, yes, that's a thing that could happen. And I'm okay with that Mm. in the life that I'm creating and, and those masks that I'm taking off and coming down to my true self, that's all worth it. It's worth that risk. Yeah. Mm. So we've covered a lot of ground Mm. and I'd love to, you know, take it back to you and your life right now. And when it comes to your own personal development, what are you working on learning or implementing? Huh. <laughs> um, beating resistance, consistency, consistency, and taking up. I, I said in a recent interview, I feel like I'm living a lot of my professional life upstage left. Like I'm kind of on the stage, putting a message out into the world, but at the same time, not taking up the whole stage. So being consistent, turning pro, showing up like a pro. And at the same time, at the end of last year, I had been in so much anxiety and so much sense of pressure around building a business and making an impact and putting a dent in the universe. I I just exhausted myself and I ended up really down and kind of feeling like the whole life thing was futile in a way. So I am spending a huge amount of time in nature at the moment. I'm probably walking at least two hours a day. 
Um, I've just spent a week down in Somerset with my husband and our little dog and we were working on his book and and then just taking mega long walks. So massively plugging into spirit, massively like plugging into the present moment. And then when I am working, you know, I want to have conversations that matter. I want to put stuff out into the world that matters. And so I have to constantly unplug from the default setting seems to be, have I got any new followers? Has anyone signed up? Is anyone liking my stuff? And it's like constantly saying to myself, like interrupting that thought and then saying, is this a conversation that matters? Yeah. You know, does this Instagram post matter? Am I saying something significant, something that that is making an impact on me? Does it feel like it's important? Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm dealing with. Those two things at the moment, consistency and plugging into spirit such important ongoing work as well I'm definitely Mm -hmm. definitely going through both of those stages myself after quite a lot of burnout last year but still trying to I don't know be authentically me in my own you know in the space that I'm trying to inhabit how to how to inhabit as authentically and fully as possible it's Mm -hmm. really beautiful and so something that I ask everyone and this is a fun question so it could be absolutely anything a song a, a dance move a tv show or something more spiritual and profound, what's one thing that you're obsessed with these days that's making your life better? Mm, Good question. I was recently obsessed with a podcast called My Dad Wrote a Porno. (laughs) Have you heard of it? Oh, I have, yes. (laughs) I haven't, yeah, I've just heard of it. I I binge listened to the whole thing. I, I was laughing so hard listening to this awfully terribly written pornographic novel that the author's son was reading out with his two friends I had to pull over like people crash their cars listening to it um so yeah my dad wrote a porno I'm eagerly anticipating series two of that so that's the thing that I would recommend people check out it's hilarious that's amazing that link will definitely be in the show notes along with all of your links and everything you've mentioned today but for people who feel drawn to you how can they work with you and support the work that you're doing in the world oh thank you so much so you know come and connect for me it's all about connection and relationships so whether that is coming to my website and reading some articles and dropping me a message and starting a conversation please do that if you're visual come and hang out on instagram um uh same thing on facebook I run a Facebook community, Sarah, so it's the people in there are really creative, soulful, sensitive, brave, and, you know, they're they're real people. So they're very, very, it's a hugely vulnerable space and people share their kind of deepest, darkest fears and what's really going on. So if you don't have a space to go, please come and join that group because you belong there, whoever is listening. And then the thing that I'm really excited about Um, sharing with people is the new podcast which Nigel and I are launching and it's going to be called The Wide Awake Show. Uh, We'll be talking about consciousness and A Course in Miracles and waking up and radical responsibility and relationships as well because I think that people need a lot of help with their relationships. I certainly do. Um, Yeah, so that's it really. Just come and connect. It's at ellawatatkinson.com and then if you search Ella Atkinson on all the social media you'll find me all over the place. Amazing. Well, those links will all be in the show notes as well. And thank you so much. There's a million other things that I could talk to you about. So I really appreciate having you on the show today. Thanks, Sarah. You can find the show notes for this episode at sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 35.
I'm so, so excited to announce that my signature coaching program, The Daydream Revolution, is now open for registration. In this eight-week course, we'll take your dream from how the fuck to hell's yes, I've got this. I'll teach you how to break your bigger-than-life dream into bite-sized pieces, move past even the biggest financial hurdles, overcome resistance, tackle your fears, and really make big things happen. I've poured my heart and soul into the Daydream Revolution to share with you the system I use to make big things happen, and I know it can help you do the same, whatever your dreams are. For years, when it came to achieving my goals, it felt like I was throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something would stick. I wasted so much time and money doing things in the wrong order or starting and stopping without really getting anywhere. Finally, I figured out a system for tackling the internal and external work to make my dreams come true with joy and ease. And I want to share it with you. And the beauty of this is, once you learn it, you can apply it again and again for all of your dreams. The course only opens twice a year, and early bird pricing ends on Sunday. You can visit sarahstars.com slash revolution to get all of the details. Okay, so next week I'm interviewing Kira Sabine. This one is for all of the single ladies out there, although I promise this woman is amazing and there's going to be something in this episode for everyone. Kira is a life coach for singles and is the troop leader over at the League for Adventurous Singles. We'll be chatting about why you need to stop looking for the one, learning about your own needs in a romantic relationship, how your history with love, from even before you started dating, is impacting your relationships, how to get out of your comfort zone for love, and how scavenger hunts, yes, scavenger hunts, can help with dating and rejection. It's going to be a fascinating conversation that I can't wait to share with you. Until then, do something to get your shit together and create a life you love.